Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening Colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with a musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Harry Hyman, founder and CEO of Primary Health Properties, a UK real estate investment trust and leading investor in modern primary healthcare premises and lots more too. Working at a property investment firm in the 1990s, Harry, a trained accountant and Cambridge graduate, had a realisation. Due to the ageing and rising population, GPs needed larger medical centres that the NHS couldn't easily fund. Harry felt that if a specialist private landlord could give the GPs the modern sites they needed, it would take some pressure off hospitals and give that landlord in return steady, eventually growing rental income. In 1994, Harry founded Primary Health Properties, or PHP, and floated it on the stock exchange two years later while dealing with a cancer diagnosis and treatment. Now in the FTSE 250, PHP is the largest private owner of primary accommodation in the UK and Ireland, with assets of over £2.8 billion across 513 sites. It's lovely to have you here. Tell me about this business that you created all those years ago. Sure. Well, it's a very straightforward concept. We develop and buy and hold for the long term medical centres, which have changed and have become much larger, out of which a whole raft of primary care procedures are delivered. So not just GPs, but the other ancillary services like physiotherapy, social prescribing, outpatient consultations. And our average lot size now is around five and a half million, which is quite a considerable size for a building. So my first memory of a GP was sitting in the guy's front room in Stanmore having the polio vaccine. And I think he was a single-handed GP and perhaps his, his wife was the nurse or receptionist. And that's how it was. And unfortunately, all over the country, too many of our facilities are still in that old-style general practice. And the increased healthcare demands mean that there's a hell of a lot more that can be delivered in the primary care centre, but that needs modern purpose-built accommodation. And that's our bag. That's what we do. And we take that requirement for capital away from the NHS, away from the GPs, and facilitate the modernisation of primary care, which is perhaps the way to radically change the NHS as we move into the later parts of the 21st century. Is it coincidence that you qualified accountant, I believe. Is that right? It is right, yes. Good, I'm just checking. Um, So far, so good. Qualified accountant, you've been involved in investment in all sorts of different things. And Mm. here we are talking about something which is incredibly important, is about the wellness of human beings. Is that coincidence that Harry Hyman is doing that? Or is it something bigger? You're right, you put your finger on it. I think when I was ill in 1995, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, thank goodness, here I am. 28 years later, it kind of meant that I was more interested in financing assets with a social impact rather than just assets for assets' sake or property for property's sake. And I think that if you can be doing something for the good of humanity, the good of the British population, also making some money out of it for my my shareholders and stakeholders, that's not a bad thing to do. I think that really did change my life in a number of different ways. And it gave me a new perspective and a drive to get things done. And until that point, had you been happily going about your business, doing well in various different roles and not really thinking about anything beyond that. And I don't mean that in a crude way. We all do that. We all, you know, we all talk about our own corner of, sure. of life. But was that the one thing? Or do you think looking back 
into when you were younger, there were other values imparted on you that meant actually Harry Hyman was going to be more interested in money and but beyond money impact. I came from uh, an immigrant background, second generation migrants from Belarus. Thank goodness they left because they wouldn't be around now for lots of different reasons. I went to a school that recognized and rewarded success and gave one a lot of impetus and drive. And I also worked for a very aggressive and, and demanding financier in the 80s and 90s. So I think striving and doing well has always been there in the gene pool. And I'm delighted to be able to harness that to modernize primary care within the NHS. So it's been a, it's been a journey and one that I've enjoyed. Looking now at the portfolio and what you've created, what does that feel like when you go into these places which are fit for purpose? Uh, well, it's great, but I think it's not just me. I've got a wonderful team of 65 people who help with the acquisitions. There was a time when I'd been to every single building. Sadly, I haven't been to all 513, probably about 413, but I'm working on it. And I like to see the, the buildings being used, and believe you me, they're busy dealing with the everyday needs of the expanding population, the aging population, and sadly a population with an ever higher incidence of chronic disease like type 2 diabetes or musculoskeletal problems or cardiovascular disease. And all this puts a massive strain on the healthcare system. And you know it's very important to realise that sort of sitting here in London we have a rather a cocooned view of British society. Investment in healthcare is a terribly important part of the levelling up agenda. People in worse off parts of the country, have a huge requirement for healthcare. And, you know, the less economically well off you are, sadly, the more things you have wrong with you because mm. of diet, depression, mental health issues, all of which can come from not having enough work and being from a less well-off background. So this agenda is incredibly important and investing in those parts of the country is doubly important. Just going back, and I think that must be right, of course it's right, there's a question I want to talk about with regard to sort of industrial strategy and the lack of it and the way that obviously healthcare and the provision of, of the facilities around healthcare are absolutely critical and I want to ask you about that a little bit. But just going back to when, when you were ill and you said it had a, a really big impact on you, of course cancer strikes in a very different way and it isn't necessarily, I don't know if there's a correlation between wealth and cancer, I, I doubt there is, it's so widespread. When that happened to you, you know, many people talk about recovering from, from cancer and, and people go off and doing extraordinary things in their lives. Why did you focus on the relationship with healthcare out of interest? Well, I, I didn't pick it. I was already doing a little bit of it, but it really changed my outlook, my world outlook. When somebody tells you you have cancer and they don't tell you what the percentages are, but I discovered later when I was in remission that it was 50-50, it kind of means... Life is, is not a rehearsal. You have to get on with it. And perhaps to some extent, I've become a bit more of a risk taker. I was going to ask about that because accountants generally, Harry, yeah. if you, you know, aren't, aren't no. and they protect us, right? <laughs> Lawyers protect us. You don't want them to be risk takers. No, I come from an incredibly traditional background after university, qualified at Pricewaterhouse, wonderful place to learn, not a place that encouraged in those days risk taking. Um, but yeah, I think it really did change my world outlook. It sounds a bit bizarre. Um, but when, when you've had this brush with death, which thankfully has not come back, in part thanks to the wonderful medical team at uh, the Marsden and my surgeon consultant, Dr. Cunningham, you, you just realise that this is not, it's not a nine-to-five thing and let's live tomorrow like it was today. You have to seize the opportunity and if you see something, why not go for it? And do you feel that every day, still? Most days, yeah. 
And I think you have to make the difference and you have to have an urge to get on and do things, you know, and follow up. Quite often I get frustrated when other members of my team don't quite follow up with quite the same vigor as I still feel that they should be following up. And I may, maybe that's a societal thing and a generational thing, but, you know, the sort of whatever attitude is, is no good. If I see something and I want something done, I'm going to ask for it to be done politely, but with determination. I think it's really simple. If everyone followed up, we'd all be happy. Well, some people wouldn't be happy. No, because... they wouldn't. That's true. <laughs> some people, the last thing they want to do is follow up. That's, that's a fair point. Stay with me for much more from my guest, Harry Hyman. Um, we'll be following up with him in a couple of minutes. But right now, we're going to hear a clip from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Andreas Tom Grogan of MDR XTech fame talks about Web 3.0, the next iteration of the internet, and what businesses and individuals need to be thinking about when formulating their strategies and pursuing valuable, impactful projects. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How should a business assess how urgently they should consider the impact of Web3 on their business? I think responsible businesses should certainly be thinking about it and engaging with it. And and for us, it always comes down to the why. If you or, or parts of your business are doing things and you're not sure why, please stop. Please stop doing random things. And if your reason for launching an NFT is to appear innovative, you're like three years too late. So please always return to the why. What are we as an organization today? What would we like to be as an organization in 10 years? And then figure out how, if at all, Web3 forms a part of that. The other big recommendation we make is to make sure that whatever you do, make sure that it is inching you organizationally further towards that target end state goal. We always use Disney as a bit of a pinup example of of how to do this really, really well. They dipped their toe in the water into Web3, launched their Golden Moments collection, which was a series of relatively simple NFTs that were little gold statuettes of famous Disney characters in iconic moments. And that was interesting and valuable, and some people bought it and some people didn't. But importantly, they used it as an internal organizational learning tool that empowered them to know as an organization what it meant to do Web3. They since have have massively expanded their operations. They refer to the metaverse, and it's a lovely turn of phrase, as the next great frontier of storytelling. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former business shapers are available for your delectation on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And of course, you can hear this very program again with today's guest, Harry Hyman, founder and CEO of Primary Health Properties, a UK real estate investment trust and leading investor in modern primary healthcare premises. There's more to it than that. And I touched on it earlier. You've got the property business, but I've, I've, I've read about the other parts of, the, of what you offer. Just talk about those two things as well. I'd be very interested to hear a bit more about them. Sure. Well, I think you're talking about International Opera Awards and and the Associated Foundation. So one of my passions in life is uh, opera. I just think it combines the best of music and theatre and costume and and, and, and voice. Uh, And it can move you to tears or move you to laughter. Um, It's it's an amazing genre. Um, And it, it, boy, does it need help. 
and the young people struggling to make their careers need a lot of help. It may be fine if you're from a middle-class, well-off background where the bank of mum and dad can step up to the plate, but for mainly young people who are not from that background, that period after music college, when they're establishing their career, can be terribly difficult. So I came up with the idea of perhaps having a set of bursaries uh, to give out to people from around the world, not just singers, but in any aspect of opera. Uh, and we run the awards uh, annually in order to generate the funds to provide the bursaries. And last year, we had our first non-UK award ceremony at the Teatro Royale in Madrid, which was absolutely fabulous. And we gave out something like £75,000 worth of bursaries to people involved in opera. And opera is a whole industry. When you sit in your seat and see the curtain go back, perhaps you don't realise there are costume makers, wig makers, people who've trained the singers, people who train the chorus musicians, a conductor, scenery designers, lighting. It's just a whole panoply of people, maybe 300 mm. involved in each performance. And it's an amazing thing. It's got a slightly elitist feel about it, which I think is quite unfair, because almost every opera company in the world has an outreach program and a program for younger opera goers who can get very discounted um, tickets. And I think opera just should be made available to everyone. And in a way, musicals are a 20th, 21st century version of opera. What I find interesting, Harry, is, you know, reading about you and, and meeting you now, there's this intellect and the rational part of Harry. And that does extraordinary things. He knows how to raise finance, knows how to float businesses, manage huge amounts of assets. There's the the man that's affected by being ill and the emotional impact that had on you. And then there's this creative piece. And often in humans, we're some of those things, but not all of them, we're all complicated. Is the creative piece the outlet? Is that the, I don't mean the real Harry, but is that when Harry's really at his happiest? Well, I do look on projects that I managed to bring off. You know, we did a merger in primary health properties with a, a similar competitor called Medics. In 2019, it was an £800 million merger, all-share merger. And I must say that <laughs> I was enormously happy once we'd done it because we'd been trying to do it on and off, more off than on, for maybe nine or ten years. And the moment became right, and we had to seize that opportunity and get the deal over the line. We worked very hard to achieve that. So that was a, um, an, a financial deal, mm. but it needed a bit of creativity in order to get it done. But the creativity bit, when you're inside of the opera, and it's great that you're doing those things, and as you said, mm. the industry, that industry is it needs help. But I'm, I'm interested in your reaction when you're actually in the opera, and you said it's emotional. Is that, is that the outlet, or is that the release from the very complicated, if, it, if you think it's complicated, and the very serious nature of business? Yeah, I think it is a release. Uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I think uh, I'm quite easily moved to tears or laughter. And I think that's a wonderful emotion. In fact, I, I listened to a wonderful speaker, Ellie Shafak, the novelist, who said at a gathering, we live in an age of angst. And believe you me, I think that's true. We're all on our mobile phones. There's digital media everywhere. It's nonstop, 24 hours a day. And she said something quite profound, I think. She said that the antidote to angst is culture. And I thought about that and thought, do you know, that's exactly right. You can read a brilliant book, one of hers. You could see a brilliant film. You could listen to a wonderful piece of music, a wonderful piece of jazz even. Uh, you, could, you could go to the opera and it, it can really help you overcome the day-to-day -day stresses and take you out of your normal mind and put your mind into another 
another dimension, a sort of nirvana. And what's also interesting is that it cuts across class and social distinctions. People can watch a play, they can watch a film, they can go to the opera, in my view, and they can have those emotions. You don't have to have been to Cambridge, you don't have to have been to school even, to be moved by a piece of great art or music. And I think that's a great phrase, you know, that culture is the antidote to angst. And maybe we should all take a moment every day to think about that. What a lovely way to put it. Family is part of your working life as well. Your son is the founder of, I think it's called Knife and Fork Media. They own The Good Food Guide. What's it like working with family for you, Harry? Has its moments. <laughs> Any father-son would tell you that. Adam is his own man, and I'm very how, proud and of him. How what... old is he? Sorry, is he... Adam, Adam is 37. Okay. And he takes the business in the way that he takes it forward, and I'm very happy to support him as a shareholder. But it's his business. So you're no Logan Roy. You'll know there's no success, no whiff of succession over there. Uh, I'm pleased to say that I'm not Logan Roy. You don't seem like Logan Roy. For those of you who don't know who Logan Roy is, uh, just go online and have a look. I, maybe some of you haven't been watching it uh, <laughs> uh, earlier this year. But is it difficult for all the usual reasons, which is it's it's your son, and sometimes those conversations, which would be more objective, become slightly subjective. And yeah, I think family, the bonds are very strong, and there's always a. I feel as a parent, you're always a parent. And you want to do well, but you have to realize that life moves on and, and a lot of his customers in code, as well as in the Good Food Guide, are from a completely different generation from me and he's got a much better handle on what they want. And code, very briefly, if you just describe Code that. is um, an app for people that work in hospitality. So it's a affinity group and it enables the wonderful people that work in hospitality who work very hard for very little money to get something back from other people in hospitality by way of some discounted offers at restaurants, but only available for people that work in hospitality. And just about 30,000 people that are signed up to that. Okay, so it's pretty significant. Yeah. And just to throw another thing into the mix, I think you have an investment business as well. I do, <laughs> and that, and that uh, invests in early-stage businesses. And that's a very interesting thing, because I, I want to help people at the early stages of their career. And I think that's a stage you get to into your life where you you want to be an investor, you want to perhaps use your experience of issues that have to be overcome and give them some help, not just financial, but intellectual as well, to help them on their journey. There's a lot of pieces here, Harry. I mean, you have the main property business, you have the investment piece, you have the code app, and then you've also got the, the, the Good Food Guide and all the Knife and Fork Media and stuff. Lots of moving pieces, lots of people. What's Harry Hyman's leadership approach? How does he manage the volume and the complexity of that? Well, I'm very pleased to say that I've got great colonels in charge of each part, so it would be ridiculous for me to try and do it all, and I've got fantastic management teams in each of the different parts of my life, and I, what I like to focus myself on now is the strategic direction and perhaps helping them to overcome issues that I've come across which may get a bit tricky but which, you know, with the benefit of age, you might have seen them before. It's like people are very worried about the current economic situation, but believe you me, this is a walk in the park compared to the global financial crisis that we had in 2008. Now, as not to belittle what's happening now, and it's quite terrible, the, the rise in interest rates, but actually, um, this is all overcomable, I think. Whereas in global financial crisis, the banks were bust. Mm. How do you keep the perspective? Is it is it simply you've seen these things in different guises? Is that it? Or is there something where you almost talk to yourself and say, Harry, the time now is to be calm? Well, you put your finger on a very good phrase. At the time of the Truss and uh, Quasi-Quateng government, my team were 
charging into the office going, what on earth are we going to do now? And I was sort of saying to them, the first thing we're going to do is nothing. Let's just wait and see what happens. We don't need to panic. Just stay calm. There's nothing wrong with the business. You know, our cash flow is ultra secure. The, the properties are 100% let. There's demand for the use of the properties. Thank goodness our interest rates are hedged out for quite some time to come. And so sometimes in your life, you think that actually doing nothing is perhaps the best thing to do rather than feeling you have to do something. You heard it here first. Probably not first, actually, because doing nothing is indeed a very smart thing to do many, many times. And it is Harry Hyman's advice right now if you're facing a particular difficulty. At least assess where you're at. Final chat coming up with him. And we've also got a Cannibal Adley classic. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Harry Hyman's my high-energy business shaper today. We've been talking about all sorts of stuff. What we haven't, I haven't asked you, and it was just it just occurred to me when you were talking before, we talk about the importance of perspective and to be calm and to do nothing. Do you ever get flustered? Very, very occasionally. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't get flustered. And what flusters you? I think I can get frustrated when things don't work or when things don't get done on time. But it's a good time to take a deep breath and maybe listen or think about a piece of music. And it soon puts it into perspective. <laughs> I thought for a moment you're going to send me to some sort of hypnotic trance. Now, Elliot, I can see you might get flustered. You've just got to relax. Um, in terms of strategy, and you mentioned your role as you now see it, things are going to change for you. You're stepping down, I think, next year as CEO. Right. What does it look like ahead from that now? What are you thinking about? How are you going to shape what Harry Hyman does going forward post that moment? Yeah, well, the time has come for me to step down as CEO after 27 or 28 years. It's quite hard work. It's not that I want to stop doing what I'm doing, but I think it's time for someone with a bit more fire and vigor to be leading the team forward. But I'm hoping to stay involved in some sort of capacity because it is very much my a baby, and it will be a process of me learning to step back a bit from that and giving the new person the space in which to drive the ship forward. Do you think you're still open to the same levels of risk post that moment we discussed when you were unwell and you said, you know what, carpe diem, got to, got to grab the day? Yeah. Seize I, the day, I, I should I, say. I, I, think, I think I am, actually. I like taking risk financially. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But, it's, of course, it's got to be proportionate to your circumstances. And, and we, we rarely take a risk with my PHP hat on because our shareholders want consistency of income and consistency of performance. So maybe that's why I have all these other outlets for my vim and vigour, so I can take the risk in those. And are you going to be able to relax, Harry, do you think? I mean, I know that, as you said, you're not stopping. There'll be a whole other next chapter of Harry Hyman, but are you good at relaxing? Are you good at switching off? Uh, if you ask anyone else, they'll say no. Mm. But I'm I figured gonna, that you would say that. I, I, I'm going to say that I can. If uh, you're forced to. Believe it or not, I find crosswords very relaxing. So I'm a cruciverbalist. I think that's the right description for it. But I also love going to the opera. So I probably go two or three times a week, which is crazy, but that's what I do. And I love it. And I like. I also like my wine collection. I've not, heard not, you have many not bottles. Not too much. No. Yeah, quite a few. Is that the, the thing I've never asked a wine collector is, obviously you must enjoy drinking it, but are you keeping them until they're ready or are you keeping them to sell? Are you, I mean, or is there a bit of everything? Is I it? think there's a bit of everything. My late father was an amazing stamp collector. So I think in a way, PHP even is a stamp collecting business. We like collecting the assets. We've probably only ever sold 20 
ever in the 28 years. So we, we might need to do a bit of more capital rotation there. But I think wines are like that. You know, I've got this particular maker or haven't got that year. I must fill in the collection and maybe I'll have a bottle or two out of the 12 that you might buy. But I think it's a bit addictive. So I think uh, I can relax, but other people will tell you that I can't. <laughs> I know whose version I believe, Harry. I hate to say. Uh, I've got a, uh-huh. got a feeling where the truth lies. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for your time. Um, and good luck with this year. Good luck with next year. I'm sure it will be fabulous and enjoyable for you. You look like you you know what you're doing. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so Absolute much. Absolute pleasure. And just before I let you disappear into the sunset, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So it's by a wonderful musician, uh, saxophonist Benny Carter, a walking thing. The record was released late in his life in 1978 and I can remember the person who introduced me to the record and I can remember listening to it on vinyl for the first time when I was at university and I just think it's a wonderful track and it also features another of my favourite musicians, Milt Jackson on Vibes. That was Benny Carter with A Walking Thing, the song choice of my business shaper today, Harry Hyman. He talked about follow-up with vigour. Just do things. If you're asked to do them, please do them. It makes life much easier and it makes business work. He talked about Elif Shafak's quote, the antidote to angst is culture. What a lovely way of putting it. And finally, he said a really important thing. In the face of adversity, in the face of things happening around you that you're not sure about, do nothing. Your first instinct is probably to do something and he says do nothing. I think that's great advice. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>